We're back to do rank casts. Do you know what I predict about next weekend? I reckon Moisey's Sunderland will slap us around a bit. Uh, should we talk about that a bit later? I don't really want to start the show with them. <laughs> yeah, I just, I just, I just, yeah, I just okay. want to get that in. Um, my God, <laughs> did you did you enjoy the absolute dross that we were served up uh, against West Brom and Everton and the other fifty eight draws that we've had at home? This I did a tweet, which I can't even remember what game it was after, which was, that's the worst result of the season apart from all the other terrible ones. And it's like, it's an evergreen tweet. It's it's almost every game. Uh, that West Brom game has to be, maybe apart from Chelsea, yeah, and maybe like Bournemouth, I don't know. But that West Brom game was, was a low for the season in a whole new way. Well, not just the result and United's really limp performance, but... The actual style of football, nearly 50 crosses United put in. And these weren't uh, flying wingers getting to the byline and whipping in crosses. Uh, these were just lumped in. They were straight balls. And uh, this, is, this was Moyes-esque, this was. In fact, do you know, United lead uh, the league for a number of crosses this season. And the average number of crosses per game is about half a cross less per game than it was under David Moyes. Yeah, it's kind of remarkable, isn't it? Um, I. I thought that the number was 33 crosses. I don't know where I've got that number from. Um, uh, that was against uh, West Everson. Brom. Yeah. No, against West Brom, I think it was 33 crosses, no? Mm, I don't know. I thought it was nearly 50. But whatever, it was a lot. Anyway, I thought I thought it was. Th- I thought we looked this up and it was three from 33 uh, during that game. It's not. It's not good. These are these are very bad numbers. Whatever. Whatever we kind of say. The, the one thing. That I, the reason that I thought it was interesting that it was 33 crosses is just um, how many that felt like. And I was thinking back to the game of 82 crosses and like that is some feat to manage 82 crosses in in a single game that is like a really impressive number isn't it you know it is yeah uh, and but it was just it was just brain dead united's performance look there there were mitigating circumstances of course a lot of injuries and suspensions against west brom uh kind of uh, you know meant Mourinho's hand was limited uh, in terms of who he could play uh, many played two defensive midfielders for much of the game and so on and so on and so on. But none of that's an excuse for United's style. I, I, I think this is, I, as I said, this is not flying wingers getting to the, the byline. I think this is players confused and running out of ideas. And and that's pretty damning. You know, if it, if it was, I want you to get wide and get it in, which was Moisey's um, tactics. At least it was clear, wasn't it? You know, one thing you could say about the 82 crosses game is they knew exactly what they were told to do and they went and did it. Very badly, but they went and did it. I don't think there was any clarity of thought in United's performance against West Brom. And, you know, I'm not like, just to, just to caveat this a bit, I'm not like, oh, you know, uh, I was going to say Moyes out, um, Mourinho out or anything like that. United are clearly improving, even if the all the numbers don't really show it. Um, but uh, this is, you know, I, I kind of, I felt like by now we'd have more out of this and we wouldn't be having those kind of games, you know, it just felt too conservative, too muddled in terms of its thinking, too rudimentary in terms of its tactical approach. Um, are, are we actually trading off defensive security for attacking options? Because right now it doesn't feel like a good trade-off. No, I mean, I've looked, I just looked at the numbers again to make sure, and it was, it was 32 crosses of which two were successful. Okay, um, great which, ratio. It's about that's... as good as our shots to goal scored <laughs> conversion rate, which is about 3.4% at the moment. Yeah, um, 
the thing, like I said, the thing about it is the kind of experience of watching it meant it felt like a, a lot more like 50 crosses because everyone that was floated in, you were like, what are you doing? This is not going to work, you know. Well, especially with Marcus Rashford there. You've got to play, loves to play off the shot. Actually, Rashford very, you know, he... He didn't take his chance while Ibrahimovic was um, away. You know, he didn't score goals. Uh, United looked limp uh, without Ibrahimovic. But one thing Rashford is, he's very intelligent in his movement. Very, so mature in terms of his movement. Just w- watch how many times he moves into channels in in order to um, switch up play and keep those centre-backs guessing. Um, except all his colleagues just get lumping it in straight. Yeah. I mean, what's Rashford going to do yeah. with that? Mental. No, I mean, and this is the thing, like, I kind of agree with what you're saying, that he didn't take his chance against Ibrahimovic, but I feel like it just doesn't mean anything that he didn't take that chance because the whole team was so, like, if it had been a straight swap, Rashford for Ibrahimovic in the team that that kind of was, was purring earlier in the season, it'd be a very different circumstance. Like, the fact that he didn't have Pogba there, Pogba who puts in more through balls than anyone else in United by a mile, was just, it was just a huge uh, disadvantage. And... This is the thing about that West Brom game. Like you say, just completely devoid of ideas. And and that was a Van Haal-esque performance. It really was. All season long, United's problem has been about chance conversion. Against West Brom, the problem wasn't chance conversion, not by any stretch of the imagination. The problem was chance creation, which I think the absence of Pogba was huge in that Um but also the fact that Mkhitaryan chose that game to have a, a real, authentic, absolute stinker. And uh, we'll yeah. talk, I'm sure, about Mourinho's discussion about his players. Um, mm, well, yeah, I know. I mean, he's he's starting to behave like he did at Chelsea when it all went wrong. Um, I mean, eight, 18 shots from United against West Brom, but um, in keeping with um, with uh, pattern of the season, United take an awful lot of shots from outside the box, forty uh, percent or so, and uh, you know this, this this it means that, that those number of shots that United have, which is really high in Premier League terms, you know, it's, I think it's only Spurs and Liverpool that have more shots uh, per game than United. Uh, perhaps you know it's a slightly misleading statistic. Yeah? We get to thirty yards out, and we seem to run out of ideas. Um, I, I, but I mean, I, but I don't think that's been the the story of our season. Like, if you look at the the XG numbers, like XG for long shots is tiny normally, and like every game we're putting up one and a half to two and a half XG. Not against West Brom, it was under one. Um, so and I'm not sure the story of our season has been getting to 30 yards and, and running out of ideas. Like, there's there's been a lot of balls played into the box. I think United lead the league for through balls actually. Um, but but yeah, against West Brom, this was definitely the pattern of play. They just. Mm. I, I think one of the things that get, gets me is you know United do dominate games in terms of having a lot of possession. D- different way of dominating than Van Hal's dominance, which was just to retain the ball um, in the most passive way possible. But uh, I, I actually I don't think United are dominating it in the sense that Mourinho thinks United are dominating it. I don't know whether he really believes it, but he hints at or directly says that United are unlucky. Um, and in one sense, you know, I guess we come to Everton, there is some unlucky, you know, h- h- bad luck hitting the bar twice, uh, a goal that was you know, either marginally on or marginally offside. Um, uh, there's some ill luck in that. But for the most part, this is not poor luck on United's part. United are uh, either very poor finishers or are taking shots from the wrong positions. You know, the HG number being reasonably high suggests that it's it's not solely the lesser, right? They, they are creating decent chances, that's why. XG number of a 1.5 to 2 would say. Um, but 
they're not finishing them. Uh, and this is not ill luck. Uh, and the thing that's most frustrating is there doesn't appear to be another idea about how United are going to play, given that, like, one game drawn at home against a mid-ranking side uh, it might be ill luck. Two is, hmm, a bit frustrating. Nine, that's a pattern. You know, it's a quarter of the season, half of it uh, in terms of home games. That's a pattern. Uh, if you're an opposition uh, team and you're happy with the point at Trafford, most are, you just sit narrow and deep and it's going to be very, very difficult for United to break uh, you down. And the thing ha- that happens is that United do not have a plan B other than pushing Maran Fellaini forward and lumping it. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, sure, especially at the moment when the injuries have bitten to the extent that they have, because I think there is some plan B in Martial, Lingard, Mata, Mkhitaryan, Rashford. You know, there, there's some kind of combination of those players which which becomes Jose's first plan B. Like, he hasn't always just turned to Fellaini and lumped it all season long when things have gone wrong. No, no, no. But but for the most part, his substitutions are like for like. Not always. I mean, for a time against Everton, he went to three at the back, right? And uh, West Brom, he went to three Everton at the back. Everton yeah. Um, uh, yeah, and, and Everton too. And uh, although he switched the fullbacks around like 15 times in that game. Um, uh, so there are occasions when he changes it. But I don't think it's necessarily changing United's approach you know, this is not Fergie. Yes, we're going to stick fifteen players forward and by force of will, uh, you know, score those goals. We've seen that a couple of times this season. Where we we talked about it on the pod. You know, hey, is this the the old determination coming back? Well, it seems that that confidence, if it really exists, is pretty fragile. That's um, it. And in many of these games at home that are frustrating, it, all will seems to go. The weird thing is, we have also. Like, some of these home draws have actually been earned on the back of that kind of spirit at the end of games. But we've got ourselves into this mess to start with. And, you know, apart from against Middlesbrough, we've turned them into draws instead of wins. I, I, I'm i sure that I know there are other examples off the top of my head. I remember Zlatan scoring late. Um, I can't even remember who it was against now. But, you know, against Everton, we that that was a frustrating home draw rescued. It was, it was going to be a defeat up until the last kick of the game. And it was by kind of you know, waves and waves and waves of pressure that that was earned in the end. Uh, it's just not enough. And, you know, you said, like, we're improving, and I've been completely on the train all season that, yeah, obviously United are improving and and kind of believing that Pogba a season in, in the division, whatever strength strengthening we do in the transfer market this summer, you know, Mkhitaryan another year under his belt. But the last... Two weeks have been properly worrying in terms of where Mourinho's head's at, how he's acting. This feels, this all feels very like third act Mourinho, way, way ahead of schedule. It, it does, doesn't it? I mean, you expect that in season three. And I mean, I think it's just the public persona as well. You know, he's on the touchline. He, he seems very touchy. Uh, he he had this weird thing where he started shaking everyone's hands before the end of the game. He does done that for years. Yeah, he? I know, but it's like it's so pointed, isn't it? And yeah. and and the public criticism of his players, uh, talking about the forwards uh, and um, you know so many of them not pulling their weight, uh, is just the kind of thing that appeared to lose him the dressing room at Chelsea. And his treatment of Luke Shaw this week is is a kind of case in point, really. So he may well have had a a very good point when he talked about Shaw's professionalism and said he's miles behind 
Um, and uh, I can imagine that Daley Blinton, Ashley Young and Matteo Damian, Damian are, are very solid pros, right, if limited in terms of their talent. Uh, sure is more talented and not making the most of it. And, you know, kind of Mourinho made that point. Then to follow that up by saying that he has no brain and I had to tell him what to do from the touchline. Well, if that's the case, Shaw came on and just started lumping straight balls into the middle. You know, I have to say I'm a bit worried about the coaching on the sidelines, if that is the case. Even more worrying is the potential fallout from that kind of behaviour, you know. Surely the players are looking at that and going, well, am I next? Am I next to be the fall guy? Yeah, I mean, you know, I've, I I really thought that against Bournemouth, I think it was Bournemouth, it was very noticeable that Shaw's football brain had regressed. So I, I think Mourinho's right, but not the way he's... I mean, and and maybe, maybe this will turn out to be a masterstroke, et cetera. Uh, but it doesn't look like it to me. Uh, I, 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 I'm not sure. I think, I think the, 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 the fact that McTarian was, um, you know, p- people now put that up as a, a great piece of man management. Maybe it was, maybe it wasn't because maybe we didn't use him early enough, you know. Um, whatever, whatever the truth of that, it was done behind closed doors. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, occasionally, you know, on both sides, right? But the, the flip side of that is, like, maybe... I know he's kind of intimated not being too happy with Shaw, but he did intimate not being happy with McIntyre publicly before now. Maybe this is a kind of last-chance saloon thing for Shaw. I'm, I'm, I'm almost playing. Not, but not, the first comment was, yeah, that's you have to buck up your ideas. You know, Gary Neville called it a jolt. Mm. Uh, this is, you know, you have to become a professional. And you know, we've all heard the stories, right? Mm. He's got a, a bunch of hangers on at home. He's not really that into football. Uh, he's not focused. Uh, he, he, you know, his confidence is gone. He's not working hard enough. All of that, right? That's comment one. Mm. Fine. Right, last chance saloon kind of um, comment too. Yeah, where is the benefit in making that public? Yeah, no, I, saying I agree. he has no brain. Yeah. where is the benefit? Yeah, I, I think it's very hard to see any. I tell you, the other place that it's very hard to see any benefit is the way he talked about Mkhitaryan because, like, so first of all, he was asked. Um, he 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 hung Martial, Rashford, and Mkhitaryan out to dry after the West Brom game, which I think was kind of ridiculous because they were far from the only problem in that game. Uh, in fact, I'd, I'd say maybe Martial was one of the better performers in that game. That's a slightly sketchy memory of a kind of a game, a terrible game watched on an average stream, you know. So, like, don't have a particularly clear recall of that game, but I remember Martial doing a couple of bright things. Lingard, too. He also called out Lingard, didn't he? Um, then, uh, then to say ahead of the... Everton game that he dropped Mkhitaryan because he wasn't happy with the way he played against West Brom. I think, like, first of all, the kind of ridiculous, staggering hypocrisy because we've seen him absolutely not drop players based on poor performances. Like, Pogba and Ibrahimovic have been untouchable in terms of being dropped for bad performances. And secondly, uh, the the bullheadedness of not adapting your man management style to the player you're working with. I go over about this all the time. This is Ferguson. Yeah, yeah. This might be the thing that Alex Ferguson was best at. And that is saying something about a man who was so good at so much of what it took to be a football manager. But Oh, for sure. I mean, Fergie appeared to know exactly when a player needed a bollocking and exactly when a player 
needed a shoulder, uh, an arm around the shoulder. I mean, that, that anecdote about uh, from Wes Brown, um, <laughs> about getting the bollocking and Virgie going, ah, oh, it'll be all right now. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, absolutely spot on. And um, I think uh, Daniel Harris made this point on Twitter, the, the journalist, uh, saying that, he couldn't remember too many times. He could remember plenty of times when United were terrible during the first half of a Fergie game. He couldn't remember too many times when they were as terrible after half time. No. You know, you just kind of felt confident that Fergie, well, oh, I'll give him a bollocking and he'll sort it out. Yeah, right? and not even. And not, that may be reductive. Yeah. I'm sure it's very reductive, yeah. but it feels true. Yeah. I'm not sure that's true with Mourinho. I don't, he doesn't appear to be able to, I don't know what, it's not motivation. It's a mix of motivation um, and analysis and and uh, uh, getting the players in the right frame of mind. Whatever it is, he's not able to extract more in the second half, it seems. Yeah, because motivation is not the problem. Like, the idea that this United team doesn't care is laughable. They are trying their little socks off. Like, there's no... I don't know how... You have to be completely blinkered, I think, to think that this team doesn't care with all its might. So it's not motivation. It's getting the best out of people. And, like, you're right, Fergie knew when to put an arm around and when to shout. But also, even more broadly than that, he knew the players that you never shout at because it just doesn't do any good. It just wrecks their confidence. The the nanny story, you know, reduced nanny to tears, never shouted him again. Like, literally. Just like, okay, that's just not going to work with this player. The world's changed. Mourinho's kind of, basically, the the players who will run through walls for Mourinho are the players whose kind of uh, alpha male machismo matches his. And that's like, that's fine. You can build an amazing team out of that kind of attitude. And he has Yeah, but you need a big checkbook to do it. (laughs) Big, big, big checkbook, which, you know, apparently United have and are willing to use these days. By the way, um, you know, while we're being pretty negative about United players, let's be positive about some ex-United players because I thought Foster Evans and Fletcher were outstanding for West Brom. I'm not... Evans looked like he was, uh, uh, you know, uh, amongst the top five best players in central defence in the world I thought I mean I know you're having a dig right but Johnny Evans is truly having a magnificent season in the uh, centre of West and Brom's I fully defense. agree with that I know I'm pulling your leg but he's having a fantastic season in West Brom who are very good defensively and he was outstanding at Old Trafford yeah Ben Foster's a buddy though obviously like obviously buddy <laughs> <laughs> Fletcher was great yeah. I did like the uh, the one moment of um uh, when Darren Fletcher got the ball, uh, and he did, he did a take on past Maran Fellaini. It was like him running past a statue. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, one of the things that I kind of feel like is it's when you do a weekly podcast or attempt to do a weekly podcast about Manchester United, it's very easy to become uh, hyperbolic at either end of the spectrum because it's inherently reactive to what has just happened. Like that is the thing that this podcast is for: is to analyze. the the games that have just gone. And there is a sort of sense at the moment of like almost chaos between what he's saying off the pitch and what's happening on the pitch are kind of like, oh my goodness, is this ship, you know, shaking and falling apart? But that did happen earlier in the season too, like around the Chelsea Mm -hmm. 4-0. Things were pretty rough. And 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 if United go and win 5-0 at Sunderland, uh, there'll be a very different narrative afterwards. Yeah, absolutely. Clearly, and we'll feel a lot better about ourselves. But, you know, and I don't think we... We are reactive because, of course, yes, you're right, we're doing a weekly podcast and we're reacting to what's just happened. But I think you can take the season in aggregate 
And uh, I mean, I, I was talking about it on Twitter and I said, uh, I think probably a, a C for Mourinho mm. so far this season, mm. given the talent available. And a lot of people responded to that saying, well, what talent? I, I mean, hey, there's a lot of talent in this yeah. in, in this United squad. I think this United squad is better than fifth or maybe sixth after we finish recording this. Um, Arsenal playing yeah. as we speak. Arsenal are winning. Yeah, there you go. So we'll be sixth. This this United squad is better than six, and Mourinho is supposed to be world class coach. Won all these trophies. Why is he? Why is he getting less than the sum of the parts? Because that appears to be what's happening. Yeah, and I, and I think it is not. It's not because Mourinho is bad. I definitely don't think it's because Mourinho's lost it or um, he kind of fundamentally belongs to an era of football which has passed. I. I Maybe that will turn out to be true, but I am not ready to sign up for that hypothesis just yet. I think there's there are multiple factors happening at once. First of all, it is this um, higgledy-piggledy squad that's been um, uh, brought together by three different managers with three very different visions. Well, four different managers with four very different visions for how United should play. So there is there is, even though there's a lot of talent, there is a kind of lack of cohesion in terms of like what the plan is for the squad, different options in the same position, all that sort of thing. And and there are, the, to, to return to a theme, the O-ring problem is real. <laughs> like, it's real. There's a reason that that, that that theme fits so well this season. It's because so often our games this season have been defined not by the best player in the team, but by the worst player in the team. And, and you know, we've been playing with Marianne Fellaini in central midfield twice. He hasn't been terrible, but he's been distinctly average and cost United dearly in key moments when a bit of... Like the the the, the one he shot wide from around the post yesterday when Lingard was just standing right next to him. It, it, was, it was terrible. It was a terrible moment, you know. But anyway. Um, yeah, but yes. I, I mean, maybe some of this will be addressed in the summer, um, although it does seem that United uh, are chasing uh, as big a world stars as they can find. It's um, deja vu all over again. Maybe it's yeah. going to get better in the summer. Yeah, we'll see. I, I mean, yeah, exactly. How often do we say that? And uh, clearly just chasing big stars and fixing. Funny thing is, right, if you actually look at the four signings we made last summer, they, they've all turned out to be a success. Yeah. You know, Ibrahimovic, massive success. Mkhitaryan, pretty much a success. Uh, Baye, by the way, outstanding against Everton. Huge success. Uh, who's the other one? Totally forgotten now. Uh, it, you've totally forgotten the uh, world record signing. Pogba. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the, the Pogba, plays a mixed success, but actually, you know, very good in more games than he's not been very good in, uh, despite the the uh, the uh, sort of narrative running through the papers. So you know that that wasn't the problem, was it? It's something else, and I don't I don't think we can fall back on it's bad recruitment. There was bad recruitment under Moyes and Van Hal for sure, and and every club makes you know bad choices in the transfer market. That's not Mourinho's problem. Mourinho's problem is that he's not getting as much as we thought he'd get out of these players. Yeah, and he's I got think, nine games to do it. I think I think this is fair. I think. Whilst it's whilst I do think it is important to kind of point out the mitigation that this is a a squad that has been assembled in a extremely um, non cohesive fashion, you know, a very hodgepodge affair. The, the truth is, Mourinho's job is to work with what he's got, and he's getting a passing grade at that because he won a trophy. 
because there have been these there's been some good spells, but you know, there's every chance at this point we could finish sixth in the list. Somebody said on Twitter, um, we don't deserve to finish fourth at this point. And we don't, you know, the season's not over, so we don't know where we're going to deserve to finish by the end of it all. But we definitely don't deserve to be in fourth now. We have had chance after chance after chance after chance. You know, it, it, it would have been easy for us to be in fourth this season, or third, or even second, by just uh, getting a f- getting things a fraction more right than they've been got. If if this season had been ten percent better, we'd be an awful lot higher up the table. You know, so it. It feels kind of catastrophic at the moment, but but the margins are fine. It's just and and you know anyone calling for Mourinho to be sacked this summer. It's like if you think that sacking Jose Mourinho this summer is going to improve Man United, good luck to you. Yeah, like, no, I mean I, I I mean of course there are plenty of coaches, but you're just dipping into another well. You know, you, you, you we have proven quality in terms of a manager who's not getting enough out of his players right at the moment. Um, mm. But uh, another sacking is not going to do the club no. uh, any good at all. Unfortunately, though, I, I, there's, look, there's definitely no guarantee that United make make the top four. Right now, uh, we are four points off fourth place uh, and uh, a fair bit behind on goal difference as well. Doesn't look like we're suddenly going to be scoring piles of goals um, uh, at all. Uh, to make up that goal difference. Uh, and three of the games of those nine that remain are against teams also in the top four. Yeah, and I, I kind of think at that point, at this point, that that feels like more of a positive than anything else because I have absolutely no faith in our in our capacity to put the teams below us to the sword. So we might as well, like, have a go against the big boys and try and, you know, try and get our players to rise to their real level, you know. And the, yeah. the, other, the other thing is... Like you mentioned it earlier, we're absolutely slating United and the performances, and I feel like it's not even unfair. But they hit the bar, they hit the bar twice in that game, and had a probably onside goal this Yeah, we haven't talked much about Everton. I mean, you know, it was a very similar performance to the one against West Brom. Deeply frustrating. Yeah. Lots and lots of possession again. Not quite as much as the game against West Brom, but but it all stopped about thirty yards from goal, and uh, and then in came the straight ball. Um, but you're right. Yeah, hit the bar twice. I don't know whether it's unlucky or not. Maybe that's just not. It's not on target, is it? <laughs> so <laughs> no, no, it no. depends on how you count on target shots. And not with the bar. Everyone counts that as off target. Um, uh, but uh, uh, depending on where the block is made, um, uh, different stats companies count it as a shot on target or not. By some measures, United only had three shots on target. Um, uh, last night against Everton, one including the penalty. Uh, By another measure, United's first shot on target was Luke Shaw's hack in the 92nd minute. Yeah, which is is pretty... I mean, a lot of blocked shots. And, and, you know, it's kind of... I don't know, there was a difference in in, in timbre between this performance and the Everton one, particularly the second half yesterday once Pogba and Mkhitaryan were on. Although Mkhitaryan, unsurprisingly, uh, given everything we said about the way he's been handled, didn't exactly come on and set the place alight. But, you know, there was a, there was a distinct uptick in quality. But but then at the... Uh, no, I, I, a player who's, uh, who's uh, has, you know, we, has been discussed, some uh, mental yeah. fragility... Uh, blasted yeah. in public. Yeah, I'm sure that helped. Pogba coming on made a big difference too, but he goes this weird formation and sticks Fellaini up top. And you're like, you know, I mean, 
I don't know. I you, you, I question myself at this point whenever it comes to Fellaini and think, well, these are professional football managers who know a lot more than I do. So, okay, there's something I'm missing. I, I, I think I've said lots of times he's a useful battering ram in specific circumstances. Uh, he One in every 10 games, he's really good. I think if I was... Um, Stoke manager or Leicester City even or you know anyone whose ambition was to scrape into the top half of the Premier League I think Marianne Flaney would be a fantastic signing but he might well end up staying next season because Mourinho trusts him in inverted commas and you just think Mm. what price is that trust coming at like yeah, well, I mean, he he slows everything down in central midfield. He can't defend, and he he can really only attack at the back stick. Uh, I, very strange player, strange purchase, uh, and I will mm. never get used and, to it. And even though Man United are determined to give you as long as possible to get used to it, <laughs> it's like he's he's seen off three managers now. <laughs> I know, amazing. Um, I, I, what, what, I mean, what, I, what, what else can Stone. you say about the Everton game? It's not as if it was even a storming comeback, you know. Got the uh, got the um, the goal through some yeah. fortune. I, I don't even know if the defender had to do that. Probably not. I, and you know, I wasn't certain that the keeper wasn't going to save that. You know, it was. It's not as if he hit it cleanly. Um, so some fortune there. Uh, some ill fortune with Zlatan's offside goal. So his feet are clearly onside. Was his head offside? A bit hard to tell from the angle of the camera and the stills because uh, clearly it will foreshorten shorten how much he's bending over. Marginal in either case. Um, but it's not like the performance was, you know, rousing and we scored in a 92nd minute because of a storming comeback and everyone felt great about it. I, I, I think you, you put on the Rankast WhatsApp group, I've never felt so flat about yeah. a last-minute equaliser. I kind of agree. I was like, oh, yeah, great, but but no. one point wasn't enough. No, absolutely. I mean, I was, I was pleased that Zlatan took the penalty so well. That's That bodes well for him and, you know, great. I wonder whether he'll stay. Lots of lots of conflicting noises about, you know, genuinely like he might leave because, not because United don't want him to stay, but because because he's like, nah, don't think this is happening, mate. <laughs> like, not gonna, not gonna spend another season fighting for six. It's embarrassing for the Zlatan brand. I'm better off in LA, you know. <laughs> yeah. Uh, asked whether he's the best striker in the. Uh, ask who's the best striker in the Premier League. He said uh, Aguero and Lukaku. Uh, Follow up. Not, not Zlatan. He says, uh, I don't compare men <laughs> to lions. <laughs> I, I mean, I'm still enjoying the whole Zlatan shtick. I cannot tell a lie. But yeah, that's. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it is kind of telling, though, because the contract's yeah. on the table, yeah. right? Could have signed it. So he's clearly waiting to see um, what might be of interest. And I don't think it's about money now with Zlatan because he, he would have gone to China for that. Uh, but, yeah, what's the point in what might be your last season or penultimate season playing out for sixth again? None really. Might as well go and enjoy the sunshine And I wonder how LA. much of that is about him looking at Jose and thinking, are you still got it? You know, is this going to happen? Are you going to do the thing that you do normally here? Or is this going to be the first time when... Well, this is like the the flattest invincible (laughs) run ever. 20 games unbeaten in the Premier League, nine draws. uh, And not a lot of great performances. I mean, you know, Andy Mitten's been talking about United's uh, win rate at home being the worst since the season we got relegated, I believe. Um, So, you know, those... That tells us so much about the that 
unbeaten run, but it's 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 a it's mm. no one has drawn more games ever. in the Premier League <laughs> than United. Right. And and I mean like I think everyone, the twelve draws, right? Everyone would take three extra wins and you know five extra yeah. defeats or whatever you know i don't know whatever to even yeah. it out as uh in terms of points i think we'd rather take that right it probably would have meant some i more mean i football. don't know uh, yeah uh, that's all kind of much of a muchness really the the thing that is the really agonizing about this season is it's so easy for those draws some of those draws to have been wins and for the narrative to be completely different not just in terms of, um, I don't know, like people are somehow being unfair to Mourinho because it's so close and it, they should have all been wins. I don't even mean that. I just mean the momentum that would have built if if we... Oh, God, yeah. I mean, look, um, you could probably list five of those games where United really should have won the game, uh, but for poor so... finishing. And that would have been an extra 10 points. United would have been second. Yeah, and, and, and that's just the points from those games. Never mind the kind of knock-on psychological effect. Because there's no doubt in my mind, looking at Man United, the biggest problem that Man United have is psychological. That's why I kind of don't buy the idea it's about squad quality or whatever. I think there's the kind of O-ring problem, which I keep banging on about. But fundamentally, the collective psychology has been seriously damaged by what's happened since Fergie left. And it needs proper repair. And and some of the ingredients to repair it are in place. Uh, A manager the size of Mourinho... Um, players like Ibrahimovic and Pogba in particular in terms of like, you know, stature in the world game, but also personality type and all that kind of thing. But the alchemy isn't there yet. And uh, Mourinho needs to hang on to the best of himself. Like he needs to make sure he does not fall into the dark pits of Mourinho despair anytime soon. Because if he does, it's over. Like, (laughs) has he ever come back from a really dark period at a club? I don't know. Um, So, you know, in that sense, like, things are... I don't I don't feel particularly hopeful right now. But like you say, if we beat Sunderland 5-0, it would be a very different feeling. Yeah, you don't feel hopeful because uh, of what happened last season at Chelsea, yeah, right? Yeah. When it just completely yeah. fell apart. And the total difference between Chelsea this season, with not a lot of changes in right. personnel, and Chelsea last season. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. And also the way Madrid ended was, you know, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And also the way that Chelsea ended the first time round. You know, we know that he's got this in him. Um but yeah, I mean, I, I, I would obviously. I think it would be completely, like, ridiculously regressive to get rid of him. And I, and I think there's, there is, as at least as good a chance it comes good as it all falls apart. But um, I don't feel like it coming good is an overwhelming favourite over it all falling apart at this point. <laughs> Um, all right, right, should we take some questions from listeners? Because we've been away and we've got a heck of a lot of questions. And I'm sure they're all rosy and positive. <laughs> yes. Is lack of movement off the ball contributing to our poor goal-scoring return? Asks at Mark underscore E underscore F, friend of the rank cast. Yeah, I, I, I'd characterise this two ways. So I've talked about Zlatan quite a bit. He only moves when the final ball's about to be played. Um, uh, whereas Rashford plays the centre-forward position in a completely different way. Um, I actually think the bigger problem, that is a problem, but clearly 26, 7 goals, whatever he's got, kind of um, 
rubbishes that argument. Um, the the bigger problem United got is the amount of players who get ahead of the ball. Right, the the number of players United get into the attacking third in the attacking phase is not enough. Yeah, I think that's exact. I suspect that's what Mark's talking about because you it is you watch United like someone's got the ball around the edge of the 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 centre circle, you know, in the opposition half, and you're looking for the movement and players breaking ahead of the ball and just going, "What are you all doing, lads?" You know, like what where where is the movement? Who do you think are the worst defenders for breaking ahead of the ball? Well, it's all those attacking midfielders, and uh, and we've got a lot. I mean, Pogba's the only one that really does it. Um, I don't think Mata does it at all. He wants the ball into feet. McTarran generally wants the ball into feet as well. Um, Rashford and Martial, when they play in wide areas, want the ball into feet. Um, there's not too many of them making a third man run. None of them do. Uh, Herrera's been asked to play a very different role this season. I thought it was... Uh, yeah, Herrera averages half a touch in the box per game this season, which is obviously a lot lower than his historical average. But also, kind of, it was unfair of Mourinho to call him out as not scoring scoring enough goals. I mean, he's basically playing as a defensive midfielder this season. Um, but the rest of them, Mourinho was right in that they're not scoring enough goals. I mean, matters in double figures, I think. Um, uh, and and a lot of it's that they are not playing the space as well as they play with the ball. Um, talking to Matter, we haven't mentioned uh, lots of rumours that he might have been out for the season, although he's currently apparently targeting a uh, return. So that's... Yeah, a month out. Growing pro- poor, poor Matter. I'm sure there will be many a United fan who will uh, uh, gladly volunteer to <laughs> at rub it underscore for him. R underscore Singh says, can anyone beat Pogba at the crossbar challenge? I think that's 10 for the season. 10. That's a lot. That is a lot. It really is a lot. Um, what's wrong? Uh, I'm not answering this, Dom. At Dom McDowell asks, "What's wrong with United?" I feel like we've—that's what we've been trying to talk about. Um, oh, he—he he raises though the question of burnout, and I do think that is quite significant. I, I do think there's been there's been a problem with rotation, and and we kind of ended up in the mess we were in in terms of player availability, largely because of the rotation thing. Yeah, well, rotation started to happen uh, later in the season, didn't it? And then there was large amounts of rotation, and that. Uh, hit um, momentum. So, yeah, some players played a lot of football. I mean, Zlatan's had three weeks off, basically, so he should be fresh for the rest of the campaign. Uh, Pogba, well, he came back quite quickly from that hamstring injury. Mm. I hope he wasn't rushed back. Mm. Um, I hope that, you know, it was just a minor hamstring problem and he's had a couple of games off and that will have done him good. We'll see. Bigger question on that one. Yeah. Um, A number of other players, yeah, they've played a lot of football. I bet everyone concerned wished they didn't need Pogba in the second half against Everton, didn't they? Uh, That seemed early. Um, At Sebenes, Sebens, sorry, says, what's the plan? I just don't get it. I'm not sure. You know, honestly, and this is this is not necessarily a dig at Mourinho because maybe he's he's uh, got a plan and we don't know it, but I can't see it right now. I can't see it. Um, I guess the summer will help us understand uh, his thinking. But you know what? I don't think it should be that it's, you know, he, he's talked about it, right? He's talked about having time and windows and all that kind of stuff. I don't think that's everything there is about management that's uh, that's what happens in football manager when you buy a bunch of players and you, you shape your team that way he i'm not seeing the team he wants to shape with the current set of players yeah no, i mean I, I i kind of think that's fair i think at one point it looked like we saw, we were seeing what the plan was which was a lot of you know a lot of kind of through balls and and real 
creative, dynamic attacking play uh, in the final third, focused on, you know, McTurrin, Mata, Rashford, Martial and Ibrahimovic being the kind of focal point and Pogba as well in the, in the creative role and Herrera holding. That all sort of made sense as a plan, but the it's almost like what you were saying earlier, the, the, the plan's sort of all right, but plan B is really all over the place. Yeah, well, I mean... Plan B or Plan C has also been changing formations. And and that's all right if you want to be flexible, but uh, I'm not sure I've always understood it. So we've gone 4-2-3-1, 4-3-3, and more recently 3-4-3-ish or 5-3-2 or whatever it is, 5-3-5-4-1 yeah. like as a system. 0800 Yeah, I I don't understand half of that. You know, some of it seems a bit faddish. Um, I, it's not what I remember from Mourinho. You know, he has played different systems uh, at different clubs based on the players he's got, but you always felt that he had a real idea about what he wanted. Absolutely. Right now, I'm not I sure. I wonder if we'll just look back at the, the, the wobble this season and go, yeah, this was just because of load of injuries and stuff and actually he was always trying to do the thing that he was trying to do a couple of couple of games then there's Chelsea uh and then a few games and there's you know there's that difficult running with Arsenal and and Spurs right at the end Did we play City again before the end uh, yeah we Can't haven't played now. them away yet because it's all yeah, yeah. It's been postponed yeah so Arsenal City Spurs and Chelsea to come um you know I'm I'm you know what United really need to do is win six of the games that are not against those teams oh five of the games that are not against those teams and then get as many points as possible out of those big games. I feel like I feel like it's almost... I mean, that obviously is completely logical, what you've just said. But I also feel like what United really, really need to do is win some of the big games and prove, prove themselves at a good level going into next season. Yeah, but I mean, they're not going to have a lot of confidence about that because where are the big results against the big teams this season? I mean, beat Spurs at home. Yep. And it wasn't exactly a big result, was it? It was a weird no, game. And, and lads, it's Tottenham. <laughs> it's not there anymore, though. You can't you can't use that anymore. Pochettino's Tottenham. It's different. Um, Machiavelli says, at Machiavelli says, should I book my flights to Stockholm now or wait until after Anderlecht? I've already got a, se- a ticket sorted. I mean... Yeah, do it, because uh, if United aren't there, it's a great city and you'll have a great time. You will spend £15 for a pint of beer. <laughs> just to warn you. This is Lovely city, though offensively expensive this is a question that's come in a few times uh, and it's popped up a, a bit lately um, at Stephen DR91 Stephen Roberts uh, says um, do you think that the lack of a Man United women's team is an issue and will there ever be one uh, it's, it's been discussed quite a I, I mean I think it's embarrassing so what happens is there was a, a Manchester United women's team this is before the, the professional league uh, was founded in England, the, the Women's Super League, and the Glazers cut it to save about a million pounds a year in costs. Uh, and there's been no motivation to return to that because actually what it would take is a lot of investment in players and coaches and facilities and, and all of that. And uh, uh, the, they don't see it as a priority in terms of making a profit. And that's basically where we're at. That is the only reason. And I suspect that the only way that it would happen at this point is if the, if the embarrassment around it grows, you know, it is becoming it is becoming really embarrassing. And at some point, the decision makers in the club might go, "Look, we're we're kind of campaigning for equality off the pitch in all these different ways. We can't really be doing that credibly and not investing in the kind of you know because it's a huge PR win at this point if they do it. Not to mention, like you can argue, is the right thing to do, obviously. Um, but it's definitely it'd be a big PR win. So. Um, I wonder whether, like, obviously, 
there are conversations happening about it because it's it's you know women's football is becoming much more popular in this country and all that sort of stuff. So you know, um, I, I mean, I, I think it's a it's a massive shame and and it's it's one of the casualties of Glazer ownership, isn't it? Like like you say, it was it was to save a million pounds a year. Well. So yeah, and and now it take a much bigger investment. But look, t- two things: um, Manchester United, one of the biggest clubs in the planet, is absolutely right that they should have a women's team. Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. yeah no, absolutely. Um, at three, Ala Awi with an absolutely impossible question: Which home draw has been the most frustrating to watch this season? <laughs> oh my god! I mean, probably Burnley yeah. just for the absolute maddeningness of it all. Um, although you could kind of laugh about that and go, that's a freak. Uh, West Brom, more recently, uh, completely different because it's not as if we had 37 shots in that game. Uh, and that was completely maddening for a different reason, which is, you know, just the kind of symbolism of United not making progress. Uh, Bournemouth, man, Bournemouth. That was one where it was like, it was so open to us to make a real push at the top four. And like a good finish in the top four as well, not scraping into fourth. And just to to blow that after the way that everything opened out was just really, really maddening. Um, All right. At bifurcated underscore MBM have pressured me into answering this question. If you set up a circle of solar-powered torches, would they stay on forever? So do solar-powered devices, can do they... No, no, because the uh, because the PV units are, are like, at best, like 15 or 20% uh, efficient. So, so explain no, that to me in layman's terms, please. So, so basically, uh, PV, uh, photovoltaic, is the, uh, is the panel that uh, converts um, uh, sunlight, uh, light energy into electrical energy. Um, 100% efficiency would be converting all of that energy into electrical energy and then... On the loop, we're a very, very long right. way away from that. Great, there we go. Thanks, Ed. I'm glad that... There you go. See, a proper answer to that question. So, soccer tactics and uh, the uh, physics of PV. <laughs> How excited were you to see... This is a question for me, Ed. How excited were you to see the Hardy Boys at WrestleMania? Um, asks at Jamie O'Donoghue underscore. I, I am very sad, Ed, that we're not going to be able to do bonus content about WrestleMania this week because it was so good. Um, and uh, the Hardy Boys was... Arrival was an absolutely explosively exciting moment. Like, what an incredible atmosphere and it looked. I mean, when when we do uh, bonus content on uh, like uh, I don't know Christmas pantomime or something, because it's as real. Ed, you do know that the oh wrestling's not real is no longer a valid argument about the enjoyment or otherwise of it, right? You do know that. A bit like uh, American football, really. It's not not very real either. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> That's, wow. Um, so we had a really nice, well, uh, a bittersweet question um, from at Toyer, who um, says that his father, a lifelong Man United supporter, passed away last year. And now his mum, who is a Sunderland fan, is bringing the whole family over from, uh, I think, I'm going to say Norway, but that's I could be wrong. It could be a different Scandinavian country, so sorry about that. Um, Unbelievable. You're saying you just can't know, tell them yeah. apart. These, these beautiful, <laughs> Adonis-like blonde gods. Ed, Tromso's in Norway, isn't Tromso it? is in Norway. There you go. See, I was right. Um, anyway, Oslo's a nice uh, city as well, by the way. I've never been to Tromso, but, uh, you know, it's the same country in it, so it must be similar. 
I'd quite like to go to Tromso because I would be able to visit the scene of one of the world's greatest ever orange football football matches. Like, that's the first thing that pops into my head with the word Tromso is an orange football and Chelsea playing Tromso. Um, anyway, he says that his his mum, uh, who's a Sunderland fan, is bringing the whole family over uh, to to Manchester to play to see Sunderland United, and he's going to go to his first ever United match with the whole family, including his mum. Any friendly advice to a rookie? So because it's at Sunderland, it's a ground I've never been to. You've been to the stadium, Alaya? I have not. No. No. Do you ever go to Roker Park? I did. Yes. Yeah, I, I knew the answer would be yes to that one. It's, it's a classic An old absolute man head dump, question. much like yeah. the city of Sunderland. <laughs> um, so I don't have any too good advice, except that if you're sitting in the Sunderland end. Uh, you can't celebrate the Man United goals, even though I'm sure you would want to, because um, uh, it won't be good. It won't be a good vibe if you do. Generally bad form, much like Sunderland have been uh, showing all season. Should we? Uh, should we preview the game? Uh, the yeah. Clash of the times. Thank you. To- oh, Moisey, your favourite. Uh, what did you say about Moisey? I, I, I've said a lot of things about David Moisey in my time, Edwards. I, I, I think you might have been a big fan of Moisey. <laughs> I mean, uh... do you know that um, Adobe is working on a product where they can uh, take recorded <laughs> yeah, voice and synthesize it perfectly? <laughs> You've been holding. Yeah. This I can't wait for this to come out because uh, I, I'm, I'm then going to uh, send out into the wild all the the conversations we've had in private about how much you love David Moyes. It's uh, you know the latest the latest Moisey Ferrari had um, had people arguing at every end of the spectrum from this should be an instant sackable offence to uh, don't be ridiculous it was a kind of nothing comment and I sus- I honestly I don't even really know where I stand on on the whole subject I, I watched it and it made me feel sick uh, watching it 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 was a bullying thing to do. Uh, the kind of, you know, male violence against women is a massive issue and uh, I don't know where this sits in that debate. I don't know if it... I This isn't me saying it doesn't. This is me saying it, I don't know what I think. I don't know whether I think these comments belong in that debate or whether this was just Moyes being angry and saying what he would say to any reporter in that situation and then going, oh, my God, it's a woman. I've got a caveat this. But I, think I don't that think might be he would have him... said to a male reporter, I'm going to give you a slap. If, if that's, he wouldn't have used those words. If that's the case, he should definitely be sacked. Like, definitely. Mm. No, I mean, because the equivalent... I mean, you, you, you wouldn't... He wouldn't say... No, no, no kind of, you know, uh, industry known for its machismo. He's not going to say, oh, I'm going to give you a slap to a male reporter. He, and if he'd said, I'm going to punch your lights out... You know, I'll see you outside, fella. That would have been the equivalent. But no, this this was uh, this was misogyny, yeah, and you know, it's on the I was on the uh, light scale of misogyny, if you can say that. You know, and uh, you know, I don't I don't even know whether it's it's uh, it's even fair to say that. Honestly, I, I, it it was deeply distasteful at best. Um, you know, hey, Sunderland is a club that. Uh, that went out of their way to uh, cover up um, for the actions of a paedophile. Um, and appointed uh, a fascist. And their CEO went, oh, yes, and they appointed a fascist. So, you know, I, I guess they've got form. Yeah, I, I mean, when I say they appointed a fascist, I don't mean David Moyes, like, just to be clear. Um, I, I think and we don't a- know much about his politics, so uh, we can't rule it out either, can we? I have never bought the argument that David Moyes was a nice man. 
This has never been an argument that sat right with me. Now, maybe he is, and it's just we've not seen it, but there's so much nastiness in some of the things he said. Like, you know, we, we talk, I, talk, I called him evil on this podcast, or not called him evil, but said that what he said about uh, if I was a German manager, I'd be given credit, was, was an evil thing to say in the current environment. And, uh, you know, I think joking about violence against women is not it's just not cool it's just not it's not funny it's not okay it's not acceptable it's definitely not nice and like Sunderland should sack David Moyes for a whole host of reasons and this is just oh, yeah, well, another one. namely because they have 20 points and they're most definitely going down I mean like I keep flashing back to his first press conference at Sunderland where he you look at a transcript of that. I, honestly, like, I was so angry when I read a transcript of that for the first time. It's a ridiculous thing to be angry about. But the tr- it was just so transparent that he was going like, well, you know, I'm going to try and get the players in to make a difference, but it's a really difficult job to, you know, buy into a buy into what I'm selling and make us great again. You know, I don't know if it's going to be possible. I'm just like... How dare you? Don't you don't deserve the job if you don't know whether it's possible to keep Sunderland up or not. Yeah, I agree. I I mean I I think the man has achieved almost you know nothing in his career. So uh he had um you know 500 odd games at Everton, 12 seasons, um and only in a few of those did they actually outperform their financial performance, right? So, you know, a crude metric uh, but Everton, for the size of the club they are, with the revenue they get, are sort of around about eighth or so in terms of their revenue in the Premier League, or about average over those years. You know, I did look this up once. Um, and they, did, <laughs> we talk, they didn't I, outperform that, that often, right? So uh, there was a myth... All the listeners will remember. There was a myth built around him uh, as being a... Um, you know, a manager who was able to build something that was greater than some of their parts. Mm-hmm. Quite often, he built something that was nearly relegated at Everton. Um, he won the he won the League Managers Association Manager of the Year for the Premier League three times during his tenure at Everton. And like, if you sincerely think David Moyes that you would have got more respect if you were German, you might want to look at those things you were given specifically because you were British. Like, it's if you think that that um, uh, David David uh, Moyes would have won the LMA Manager of the Year three times with the same level of achievement, uh, you're miles wide of the mark in terms of the culture in this country. Yeah, well, uh, David Moyes got fired after 40-odd games at Real Sociedad with a 28% win rate. <laughs> Beat Barcelona, though, didn't they? He did, <laughs> playing uh, one of the most defensive performances in the history of defensive performances. Funny thing was, I was actually cheering his side on. A, a strange psychological thing happened there <laughs> uh, where I, I couldn't help but cheer on the underdogs, yeah. uh, even though it was David Moyes. <laughs> yes. Oh, yeah, I wanted him to do really well at Sociedad. That was, I still had a degree of, uh, like, warmth towards him at that point, but it has all evaporated since then. Um, partly because of, like, his attitude there as well. Like, I'm going to try and learn the language, but it's a bit hard. Anyway. Anyway, uh, enough Moyes bashing. Um, his team... No, I, mean... I don't know. Really? <laughs> really? Was it enough, was it enough Moyes bashing? <laughs> 
There'll be another opportunity in the future, no doubt. Although at some point the opportunities will run dry because he will finally make well, himself irrelevant. I mean, you, you see where this is going, right? Sunderland are going to get relegated. So he has, um, if the club don't sack him, and, well, and why would they? I haven't sacked him yet. Um, so he's either going to be managing in the championship or he might not get another Premier League gig. Mm. I mean, it's not guaranteed. And if he does, it's going to be bottom third. I think I've made this joke already on the podcast, but he just wants to add to the one bit of silverware he's won, which was the championship um, promotion. Uh, Sunderland will not finish in the top half of the championship next season. <laughs> no, it's just the way they're structured. This is not Newcastle where they, they are going to retain all their players and uh and uh, spend more money. Uh, I think they'll struggle, as many clubs do when they come down from the Premier League. Yeah, um, you max it. One of their whiteboard videos was about Sunderland's finances, and they're terrifying. Like Sunderland, they've just been losing money hand over fist. Just a cycle of terrible, expensive recruitment and poor, uh, poor transfer fees recouped and changing managers all the time and, and bad appointments. It's, it's, it's a a kind of template for how not to run a club. It's kind of Aston Villa-esque, really. Um, yeah, and look at what's happened to them. Yeah, absolutely. So what is going to happen to Sunderland on uh, Saturday or Sunday, Sunday? Uh, they're going to defend with 11 men for 89 minutes and uh, win it with a like a corner or something. <laughs> No, then no, I don't know. no, they can't. United going to win. Surely, surely, United are going to win. I and mean, we know how Sunderland are going to play. Fortunately, we have a couple of agents in the Sunderland team um, who who may uh, uh, help us along here. And they are terrible at the back, just awful. Surely, United will win. It is an early kickoff, though, isn't it? And you know, one yeah. thirty on a Sunday. Mm. I mean, Sunderland lose to everyone. Uh, they lost 4-0 to Southampton at home, uh, 2-0 to City. That's not particular. That was they, they were sort of all right-ish in that game, really, and City weren't very good. Um, they drew at home 0-0 with Burnley, uh, but otherwise, like, they, they haven't had a win in their last six fixtures. Um, yeah, I mean, they, they freak the result at Palace, oh, yeah. but uh, apart from that, they that's their only win this year. Uh, the, what, the one thing that I slightly worried about is I think we're probably going to need to sc- score two goals because Jermaine Defoe will probably score against us. Although, I'm not sure they've scored a goal in the last six fixtures either. Nope. 4-0, uh, 2-0, 2-0, 0-0, 1-0, 2-0. <laughs> That's, that is not good. Haven't scored a goal in six games. <laughs> I mean, imagine the thinking at Sunderland. <laughs> We're a really bad team. We're not going to spend any money. You know what we really need to get the best out of this team? We need some real positivity. Yes, it's David Moyes. They're going to get everything they deserve. A bit like those guys who came out with that uh, recent Pepsi advert. You know, you kind of go, what the f*** are they thinking? I've just clicked onto the Sunderland page on the BBC website and it just says, Moyes never feared for Sunderland job. He's like Arsene Wenger. Uh, so, OK, the, the, seven games ago was the 4-0 to Palace, right? So they scored four goals in that game. But before that, they didn't score in the previous three games. So, like, in their last ten games, they've scored in one of them. <laughs> it's not good. Yeah. You know, um, uh, D- 
Uh, like you, you talked about Jermaine Defoe. He hasn't actually scored that many goals this season. Um, and uh, in the recent England game where he scored, he touched the ball eight times. There was a very funny narrative went around about Jermaine Defoe. I think one of the players said, uh, yeah, and Defoe scored the goal and uh, his build-up play was great. After he touched the ball eight times, three of those were from goal kicks, uh, kickoffs. He's got 14 um, in the league and like that should be, you know how the 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 uh, the golden boots things are weighted i feel like every goal for sunderland counts for like four or five goals <laughs> <laughs> yeah well okay fair enough he's got more than i i kind of imagined he had um so i mean i don't know like it's always very dangerous to just laugh at how terrible the opposition you're about to play is isn't it like that feels very churlish indeed like i apologize for having done that but it's hard not to I'm a bit giddy, it's been a long uh, day. Yes, how the mighty fall on hubris. Yeah, we shouldn't have too much hubris, no. though, given uh, how bad we've no, been gonna, the last couple of games. I'm going to predict but, uh, a draw on that basis, like, uh, just to... Mm. United have actually been pretty good against championship teams <laughs> this season, <though>, so... <laughs> which yeah, is basically what we're playing. <laughs> yeah, right, that's it. The hubris is back. Um, all right, go on, predict a result, Ed. I am going to say a 2-0 win for United. Uh... Okay, yeah, I'm going to predict a win. I'm going to go with 2-1, though. Um, that's last minute's Latin winner to save our blushes. <laughs> it's going to have to be his Latin winner because no one else scores. <laughs> yes, quite. All right, well, that was a, it was fun to talk about all this stuff. Um, I'm sorry if it was a... I'm very discombobulated. It's been a very long day and we're recording this quite late. So I don't know if any, any of that made any sense. Um, Don't make any sense in my brain, but then again, I've barely slept in the last month or so. That's what. How's the, uh, how's the littlest ranter doing? Uh, littlest ranter is doing good. Not really showing signs of um, enjoying football yet. I'm a bit disappointed about that. I may uh, may have to send him back and get a new model if he, he doesn't suddenly perk up with uh, United on a telly. Didn't the kind of second highest ranter say that he preferred the blue ones? Yeah. Yeah, I almost sent him off to Bernardo's for that. All right. Um, thank you very much for listening, everybody. Um, you know where we are if you want to find us. And otherwise, we'll be back next week. Patreon backers, stay tuned for more. See you next week. <laughs>